All right, so we just finished uh, the live stream of Lisboa. And for those of y'all that did not get a chance to watch it, I figure while it's super fresh in our heads and while Amanda and I are busy at Origins when this releases, because this is releasing on Thursday, hi from Origins, I thought I would go ahead and have the two fellas that just you know, played with me, join and give our kind of final thoughts and overview of what we thought of Lisboa. So, Matt, Dan, I appreciate y'all joining me. You're no welcome. problem. All right, so how many times have you played Lisboa first? I think this is my fifth time. And you've played a bunch on Tabletopia, you Well, I've, I've played once on Tabletopia, but we played... Three times, I think, when this was Game of the Month. Yeah, oh, right. A while back. That's true, because we had the prototype yep. for the longest time, for about seven months, so we've been playing it here and there, like you said, during the uh, Game of the Month. I believe this is also my fifth time, because during the Game of the Month we played it. Uh, played it here, and I think we played uh, like half a game before we got started, and a, a game with just like three of us, I believe. So. Right, when we were just kind of mm -hmm. fiddling with the rules and kind of figuring out how to play the game itself. So... Five games under all of our belt. I, I, I may have one more. I have two more because I taught it and played it a couple times at HeavyCon. But that said, what do you think of the game as a whole? Yeah, we'll start there. What do you all think right. about that? Uh, just going back to my original uh, thoughts on the game, when we first started just messing with it and reading the rules, um, I can usually tell if I'm really going to like a game just... As the rules are being explained to me and my smile starts getting bigger and bigger as we right. play it, I know Food Chain Magnate did that. I know Great Zimbabwe's done that. Uh, Roads and Boats, quite a few others. And this one did it too. Um, so when we started just looking at it, I was like, oh, that's cool. Oh, that's cool. Um, and just just the way the mechanics work, it's just with all the uh, the things here, you got your multi-use cards, kind of Lagrange style a little bit. Um, you've got... Uh, um, just different ways of playing them. It, you've got the the uh, Vital Lacerda way of taking one simple mechanic and just blowing it out to being an amazing game. So the simple mechanic here is take a card, uh, play a card, draw a card. Right, Vital himself is the one who said, I don't get it. It's a real simple game. You have a hand of five cards, you play a card, you do an action, you draw a card. It's real simple. Sure, Vital, sure. <laughs> yeah, but boy, howdy, does how the, the, that one simple action just cascade through the game and kind of intermingle with everything else, and you come back to see, oh, if I play this first or that first, or and the order in, of which you do that makes a big difference. It makes a huge difference, exactly. for sure. Uh, I, I think I actually would have felt the opposite of that. If hearing a, a description of the game or like just reading over the rules, uh -huh. I don't think this would have immediately appealed to me. Really? I don't, Why? Why do you think that is? I'm not sure. When I read the rules, nothing about it stood out to me as being especially different from thing, other things that I have played. Okay. I mean, granted, I haven't played nearly as many games as either of you have, so I'm, I'm still developing my, my taste in games. But. Which I think this is fantastic, getting a newer, not new, but newer, newer yeah. gamer uh, perspective on this. So I think this is fantastic. Yeah, but I, I absolutely love it. Um, I mentioned this on the stream that it's, it's definitely in my, my favorite games right now. I, I feel like I could just play this 
pretty much constantly. <laughs> it's, it's really different each time, and I, I, I like that a lot, especially with the Kickstarter um, tiles that add a little bit of variety. Yeah, so what you're talking about are the different city tiles, which there's uh, bonuses printed on the board, which is how we've always played it with the prototype. But now with the Kickstarter stuff, or one of the stretch goals, I think it is, I think this is just standard in the deluxe edition, which I think is the edition, I think. I don't, uh, don't quote me on that. But it comes with all these markers that it can change what bonus comes with what store as well as what public building. And talk about shoot, ramping up and shooting up the replayability and variability, that's amazing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and another thing that I'd, I'd mentioned on the stream is that I think the the heaviness of this game is right in right at the level that I appreciate it the most. Because the first time I played the game, I really had no idea what I was doing. Pretty much up until the end, like there's just so much going on, so many interlocking moving pieces. But once you think about it a little bit after your first play and move on past that, it becomes much more intuitive, and then it just becomes a, a very highly strategic. Um, game and I, I think the, the balance of that in this game is perfect. What do you think of the theme? Now people who listen to this know that I'm usually ambivalent about a theme and a theme will never hurt a game in a sense that if literally the game has no theme I'm okay with that as long as the mechanisms are good. But here this is one of the few games that I have taught where I actually use the theme to help drive the narrative of the game and how to teach the game. Yeah, um, it was a period of history and a thing that happened that I had no, I, I really had no idea about. Same here. I, I, I really not, but now, now I kind of go, oh, that was terrible. That was a horrible <laughs> but, three day stretch, and, right? And then, yeah. the, and then the, the rebuilding, well, that was kind of amazing. So I see why you would want to put that into a board game and, and kind of theme it around that. It's a really cool, um, a piece of history that I think deserves the, the the board game treatment that it got. Plus, it's so well integrated into the game. I, I completely agree. It definitely helps teach the game and kind of make the mechanics not feel as weird as they seem. Because oh, of course, that's the way that works. Because you you have to do that before you do this. Sure. Yeah, I absolutely agree. Um, I it the theme and the mechanics mesh about as well as any. Euro game I have ever played. I mean, I completely agree with that. Possibly even any like Ameritrash or hybrid game that I've played. It's it's the theme fits with the mechanics perfectly, um, and I I've come to appreciate that even more as we've played. Especially as I've noticed things on the cards like the some of the cards have historical historical information about what was going on at that period of time, and I think that's really cool. Like, I I love that about the PAX games and. I'm, I'm not sure if the prototype had those on there or not, but I think I think that's that adds a lot to it. And it's not like super important like theme. Oh but yeah. It's, but like for instance, I'm looking at one of the cards that says 1772, a cutlery factory belonging to the crown is constructed. Okay, yeah. I, I believe and then, you. And then what does the card do? Because I bet it kind of ties in. Well, it provides two plans which allow for a public building, which if the yep. state owns it thematically, right. makes sense. Yeah, the Absolutely. one that I have here, just looking at promotion and investment in industrial progress. It is one of the cards that you, when you play the it, you, have, card, to, you yeah. have to pay. So you're investing in this progress and you get to build a building. So Again, the theme is 
completely in, uh, intertwined with the mechanisms in this game. So some folks call some euros with, you know, pasted on theme, whatever. Not so much here. No, definitely not. So let's talk about the game that we just finished. Uh, just thoughts on that individually and, and some of the cool stuff that you actually saw go on. I went with a different strategy than I usually do because um, I, didn't, I didn't get a whole lot of decree cards, um, which isn't a great strategy, um, to be honest. But I, I, I ramped up everything else where it was actually still pretty close. So had I have been able to deny some decree cards from some other folks or gotten just two or three more, the results would have been drastically different. So go ahead, Dan, before we talk about the results of the game, go ahead. I used my rubble stacks in this game to control the pace a little bit. I hadn't thought of using that as a... Uh, a weapon? As, yes, exactly, as a weapon. And it was really interesting. It, and it, it worked because you triggered both the midway point, the, the, the kind of the end of the first era, and you also triggered the end of the game. Exactly, and I triggered those when it would help me the most. And it almost paid off with a win. It was very close. Um, and I also really like getting the points from rubble stacks, I think that can that can end up adding a lot more than people realize. I agree, and also it's thematic. You are helping clear the city of rubble, so of course you should be rewarded for that, right? Yeah. So on that note, on that note, Matt raced out to a big lead, Dan caught up to him, and I literally think I was about 28 to 35 points behind both of you guys and it was looking pretty hopeless I thought I was lagging behind on rubble stacks I I found myself broke a lot however I ended up putting out a lot of state officials which allowed me to place a lot of public buildings by playing king cards and I noticed that the decree cards that were coming out was promoting that type of use, meaning building the, and decree cards, for those that don't know, are in-game scorers. And I noticed that it's, uh, there were a lot of multipliers for that. And so I was like, huh, maybe I should focus on decrees because both of you neglected decree cards early and I got a few early and then a few mid-game and then I loaded up the last two turns. I think I ended up getting another five or six decree cards. So I was behind by almost 40 points when we went into final scoring and the decree cards ended up, I snuck out a win. Somehow, legitimately, it shocked all three of us, did it mm -hmm. not? Absolutely. Yeah. And I ended up winning 109 to 100 to 98. So that was, even so, an incredibly tight game. So overall, your impressions of Lisboa after five plays, and are you excited to play it anymore? I am absolutely excited to play it more. I think every game I learn more about it, and that really gets me excited about a game. I don't like feeling that I've seen everything after the first game, mm -hmm. and there's a lot here to play with, and I really appreciate that a lot. The weight of this game um, puts it right where it's not so heavy that you're like, oh, I don't know about that one. That's just gonna burn my brain. It's after after playing it a couple of times and kind of smoothing out all the the edges of the iconography and everything. I I want to play this all the time. So just if you say let's play Lisboa, I'm like, 
Yeah, let's play Lisboa. Um, I'm completely fine with that. I, I want to play it more. Um, I still want to try out different things. And now we've got these tiles that are changing it up every time. That that makes me want to play it even more. Yeah, the, so. just that little thing that we talked about with the variability and the replayability is just... That has me way more excited than it probably should, but it really does enhance the game. It truly mm -hmm. does. Mm -hmm. So I agree with both of you guys. I have, I think it's seven plays under my belt now, and Amanda and I will do a formal review of this, uh, either the week after Origins or the following week. But I wanted to get your guys' take on this while it's fresh in our heads. And I am super excited. Like, I would be okay with this being game of the month again for our group, even though it's already been once. So that said, now that we have a production copy of the game, and, you know, I'm grateful to Eagle Griffin for having sent us one so that we could do the live stream, etc. Thoughts on the production value of the game? Um, production value is top-notch, just like you would expect from all the other Eagle Griffin games that have come before it, Venos and Gallerist. Um, it fits right in with those. Um, I would say it's probably one of the prettiest ones that has come out just with the art style of being the, the blue tile, and it just Ian knocked it out of the park with this Ian O'Toole yes. being the artist, which I'm sure folks listening <laughs> probably know his, his, his pedigree of artworking games, I think, at this point. Um, the wooden bits are, are great. They're not your standard meeples. They're, they, they, they're thematic and fit with the game. They all seem to be wearing wigs, which is, is very thematic and on point for this. Um, it, all, all the tiles are super thick cardboard. Um, at this nice little uh, decree board, board which up there. The, the prototype didn't have. Mm -hmm. That was one of the Kickstarter stretch goals or something like that. Yeah, yep. so that's that's very nice. The cards are great. Uh, the player boards um, with all the slots and the uh, the way the cards slide in without needing any feet or yeah, anything. Yeah, they're indented, which is a huge thing. Like it, that that was the thing that Scythe absolutely 100% nailed was those kind of 3D indented, you know, have a place for your stuff so it doesn't move around when it gets bumped. They nailed it on this as well. Yeah, the interesting thing about this is um, you don't need many add-ons to this game. It's like it came with everything. Like in a lot of the other games, like, oh, it'd be really cool if we had a tray or something or an insert or something. This game feels like a complete package, all-in-one. You don't need any extras. I would argue that there is one extra needed. It's the heavy cardboard promo. <laughs> Absolutely. I, I was talking about more storage, but... Understood, yes. understood. No, and um, again, if you guys have listened to this, you already know that we are fortunate to have a promo made by Eagle slash Vital slash Ian uh, that is hopefully available at Origins for us to be able to hand some out as well as them for when people buy copies, et cetera, et cetera. So super excited about that. Plus it's, I mean, Ian O'Toole drew Davis in a quote unquote mainstream game. Dude, seriously? Made it. Yeah, made it. It, yeah. it, it got feels feel pretty like good. It. I ain't yeah. gonna lie. It definitely <laughs> feels like it. So, how about you? Uh, production value for you, Dan? I I think Matt summed it up very well. It's it's fantastic, and it's it tops off the game. Like the game itself, the mechanics are all I, I love it. But adding this production value just makes it 
even that little bit better. Yep. I, yeah, I, I got nothing to add. Honestly, it's just it knocked it out of the park. I'm really, really happy with everything. Some people will make the argument that it's overproduced. Uh, and does it justify a $100 price tag? And you guys know how I feel about that, about saying, if it, is it quote unquote worth it? I can't tell you what your situation is. I don't know, you know, everybody listening. I, I can't dictate that. However, what I do know is for myself, would I sell two mediocre game on a pile of games to justify this for my collection, even if we didn't have it? Unequivocally, the answer is yes. For me, I can't say that's the case for you, but for me, 100%. So how about you, Dan, being newish to the hobby? I mean, how long have you been in, to give a little bit of context? I'd say two years. Okay, so two it's not three like years. you just you know, no. got into the hobby. So how about for you? Uh, yeah, I would absolutely shell out 100 bucks for it. Whether, whether that requires selling a few games or not, like this, this one is definitely going to be in my collection. Okay. Uh, same here. Um, I've already got some games that I'm thinking about. Oh, yeah, I don't really need those anymore. Earmarked um, for, for yeah, removal. It, it, is, it is one of Vital's games, too. Um, I, I'm a big fan of all of his work, so that's going to... I, I need it to add to that collection. So um, there will be a gaping hole if this is not, a, <laughs> not in it. And gaping because the box is enormous. Right, it's the yeah. same size as the Gallerist and Vino's. Yeah, I would just have a space on my shelf that was empty that I would cry that, Vino, that uh, Lisboa is not there. I actually need to get the deluxe edition of Vinos as well. I have the older one. Well, when you say need, I mean, you do live here. Yeah. I mean, that makes it. There are still some games that I unequivocally need. So that is another, that that is another uh, uh, feather in the cap of this game that I live here where it exists and I can play it all the time, yet I still feel like I need to own it. All right. Fair enough. So anything else then before we call it a night and let you guys... Um, I was just looking at some of the production quality things. I really like some of these things that they don't need stickers. Yeah, there, so there is one thing that I had to sticker uh, when I punched this, mm -hmm. which like are those. the goods mm -hmm. markers. Outside of that, though, all the player markers, I shouldn't say all the player markers, the influence markers and the wig track, i.e. the victory point track, are all ink stamped. Uh, with what they are and then you're pulling apart you're pulling over the actual money so the game comes with cardboard money which you know whatever it's fine however yeah it they are the ones are just like you'd expect regular cardboard ones yes circular coin thingy yeah yeah the fives are bigger pieces of cardboard that actually look like a stack of five ones and then the tens and the tens it's very similar they look like a stack of 10 ones and they're bigger, they're chunkier, that you feel like you have more, so, um, without I, having to have all the individual pieces. I've never seen that, and I know it sounds silly, but it's it's cool, because I've never, that's new and actually, like, useful. Without having to manipulate multiple coins, here's one big oversized that looks like a 10. Most, most games, the currency, the chits feel like an afterthought. Like they designed everything else and then said, oh yeah, we need some, some money. Let's stamp some circular cardboard. Right. Mm -hmm. This actually has some thought that went into yeah. it. And it's clever. 
I mean, it's a little thing, and I have zero problem playing with the game money. Now, we do have the metal coins that are, I guess were an add-on. They came in the prototype, so I just said, cool, I'm not giving these back. Yeah. Uh, but I would be totally okay playing with the cardboard money. Absolutely, yeah. I don't think it would take away from the game at all. If you can get the metal money, I recommend it. Sure, well, but, I mean, it's yeah. metal coins, right? Yeah. One last thing. Now, we all have played the game over multiple player counts. I don't think any of us have played it strictly two-player yet. Oh, I have. you have? Okay. Go for it. Yo, well, so talk about the different player counts then. How does the game feel differently? Does it, does it feel, I don't know, do, does it justify the difference in player counts? Meaning, hey, I can play Dominant Species at two. Doesn't mean I want to. That type of idea. I've played with two players just once, but it, it went surprisingly well. It was still as interactive and interesting as um, the three-player game, I thought. Okay. Though with, mo with more experience um, and more experienced opponents, that might change. Um, I think three-player was really good. I, I really enjoyed it. I really did as well. Yeah, three and four-player are fantastic. Um, I haven't played it two yet to know, except for the kind of weird two-player game we played at the beginning. Which was learning. just a learning so game, right? I don't really count that, um, which I think we actually played it four-player anyway. I think we had four players out. We may have. But, um, so, yeah, everything I've played it at that I have experience with has been great. Yeah, same here. I think four is a little bit better than three, but not... What? I'm not, I feel like more of the mechanisms in the game show up. So in our, in our three player game, shipping was not much of an issue. I know, I tell me like about we, it. We there, there really wasn't hardly any shipping. I, okay, no. that, that's fair. Now, do you think that's a player count issue or do you think that's a, you know, uh, we didn't need to, so we didn't? I'm not sure because okay. I've only played with three once. Okay. But I've, when there are more people, m there's a, a larger variety of actions that happen, generally. Sure. Um, also, more opportunities to follow. Yes. Fair point there as well. Yeah. So you think limited experience at two and three for all of us, granted. So would it be safe to assume that two and three is quite good? Four might be where it shines the best, though. Again, limited experience, though. So initial thoughts on that, at least, I, I guess I should say. I, I would say I'd probably agree with that. I would say four is a little better at three than three, but three is perfectly playable and, and good oh I, well. I, I yeah I, I think that might be selling it a little short I thought it was fantastic <laughs> right three. Yeah. yeah um and I I think I would probably say I enjoy it more for however do you think it plays does it add to the time for playing with the fourth player because that's one more person that can follow etc etc however there are more cards getting taken quicker so that accelerates so i feel like it balances pretty well but it does mm -hmm. add a little bit of time but i don't think it's a a game not game breaking but a impactful amount of time yeah the buildings over there are going to be a little tighter you're gonna have more people over there that's uh, fighting for those positions um, probably going to have uh, less opportunities to get rubble because more pe it's going to be spread over more people. Um, so it'll probably it'll probably be a tighter, much tighter game with four, I think. And tighter, not necessarily by score. score you mean just, just tighter, just, as in phone booth, knife fight, yeah, right? Type yeah. Thing. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Um, it worked 
like I said, it works surprisingly well with two. I, I really enjoyed it with two. I wasn't sure how that was going to go, um, but I will definitely play it again. Okay. At and, all counts. And there is actually a, in the Kickstarter edition, there is another little uh, two-player board that comes out that covers one of the street, whoop, that that covers one of the streets. I think it's E Street, which is the last street down there that changes things up and makes it a little bit tighter for a two-player game because those buildings are already pre-built, so it's a tighter game by default in the two-player game. So let's give some final thoughts here. For me, if you're a VTOL Lacerda fan and you're a fan of the intertwining mechanisms that his games provide, I think this does as good a job, if not a better job, than any of his previous games, including my all-time favorite, which is Vinos. The way that the theme is integrated into the mechanisms and everything just makes sense. And it just works really smoothly. However, there, I mean, there's a ton of intertwining mechanisms here. But every single one of them feels like it should be in the game. So I don't feel like it's too much. And I I mean, it really is a Goldilocks for me, kind of like what Dan said, that it's right on that border of, man, that's a lot to keep track of. But yeah, I am really, really digging this game after seven plays. Yeah, I'd agree. I can kind of see the pedigree of how, how things have come to this point. You can see a little Vinos in there. You can see a little Kanban in there. You can see a little Gallerist in there. Um, so yeah, it's like all those things have come together to kind of form what Lisboa has become. And it's it's kind of a, uh, a natural progression and I, I think probably one of the best. Not having played too many of uh, Vital's games before this, I can't speak to that too much, but it does make me really interested in playing his other titles. Um, I've played Kanban once, and I, I, I saw the similarity in how they're, they're built around the interlocking mechanisms, and that is very intriguing to me, and I'm, I plan on playing more. Awesome. Cool. All right, y'all. So thanks a lot for joining us, and fellas, thanks for joining me I guess it was and being able to to talk about this and give folks an early look at this and either get them excited for it or let them know that maybe this won't be for them if it's not you know their style of game so our job isn't to sell the game our job is just to present it and let folks make their own decisions so that said uh, yeah if you're coming to Origins, well, I guess if you're here at Origins, make sure you come by the Capstone Games booth. I think it's 438. It's somewhere near the center of the room. We're going to be there a couple hours every day. If you're hearing this the day it releases, we have an informal meetup at Pies and Pints at 7 p.m. on Thursday. It's about half a mile, give or take a little, north on the same street as the convention center. So come hang out with us, have some brew, have some, well, hopefully decent pie. And by pie, I mean pizza. And yeah, let's hang out. We'll have t-shirts, maybe some pint glasses. We'll go from there. So Matt, Dan, thank you very much, fellas. You're very welcome. Happy to be here. Cool. All right. So if you're at Origins, come say hi. If you're not, we'll see you all next Thursday with the next episode of Heavy Cardboard. See you all later. Bye. See you.